Hey, what's up? He is risen, right? Man, what a day. What a day that we are here to celebrate Easter. And, and, and honestly, uh, it seems like everybody's quite excitable on this day, doesn't it? Like you just like, it feels different, doesn't it? You're like, you're just like a little hyper excited. Uh, everything feels a little more, like the singing's a little louder and you walk in the doors and people are like, he is risen. And it's like, he is risen indeed. And you're like, who? Like if you're visiting church for the first time in a long time or perhaps for the first time ever, it's a bit weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, these people seem very excitable about some weird stuff. And if you're here and you're not visiting uh, after a long time and this is your place, there is a bit of that feeling at first that you might think it seems like a bit much, but then you find yourself kind of feeling a little bit like it's not quite enough. Why is that? Why is it on this particular day, this day we pull out of our annual calendar to celebrate Easter, the reality that Christ is risen, why is this day so excitable? Why is it so special? Why is it such a big deal? And, 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 and at first, it seems obvious, right? Well, it's, it's obvious that, that, that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead and was resurrected. This is Resurrection Sunday. That's why we celebrate. That's why it's special. And we're like, yes, that is correct. But why is that such a big deal? And then we realize, oh, that's such a big deal because on Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God came to be with us in personhood, in flesh and blood. But on Easter, we celebrate that he didn't just come to be with us. He came and did something for us while he was here. And that's what we celebrate now, that he didn't just arrive. He lived, he died, and he rose from the dead to accomplish something. And then we look into that and we're like, what did he accomplish? That's why this is so special. And we find out through the story of scripture that what he accomplished was to set us free from something that we were bound into or slaves to, this thing called sin. We had sin, long story of how that all unfolds, but like a virus that has infected us, we had this virus sin and we couldn't do anything about it. So it was doing its work and its eventual end would be our demise, our death. Like every virus left to itself brings about death and we were on the track toward death. And what the Bible says is that God in his life, death and resurrection on this planet unraveled that virus, took it away so that we would not die, but we would live. So then you're like, okay, that's a big deal, right? You tracking with me? Big deal. And we were like, oh, that's worth celebrating. And then we're like, yeah, but what what does it mean that sin is gone? I mean, I believe in Jesus. I pray and say, God, I believe that, that you are. You see, and, and then I'm, I'm, I'm alive, but it doesn't feel that much different, does it? I mean, like for those of us that have had those encounters, it's neat, but it's not like you wake up the next morning and suddenly like, oh, I'm breathing. I wasn't, it just, it's not. So what is it about this transition that's a big deal? And then we go further and we're like, it's because of what comes next. You see, when we die on this planet, then we go to a place and we either go to a good place full of life and light and freedom, heaven, 
or we don't. We go to a dark place, absent of light, life, and freedom, hell, and I get to go to heaven because Jesus took care of the virus that was going to kill me, and I'm alive. Worth celebrating, right? So you're, you're already with there. All of that is true. That is all part of the story of Scripture, and it is all true. And if that's all that was true, it would be enough to make this day really special, really worth getting excitable about, really worth kind of going, oh my goodness. But guess what? It's even bigger than that. It's even more profound than that. It's even more awe-inspiring than that. It's even more, there you go, speechless than that. So what is this story that scripture actually unfolds that causes us rightly to sit on this Sunday as we celebrate what God has done in his work of redemption, coming, living, dying, and rising from the dead? That is such a big deal. We, we get a glimpse of how big this really is and what the real story is, what it really means that we have life, what it really means that we are free as we look into the future. Now, the reason we can look into the future is because God bothered to give us this document that gives us a chance to see what we cannot yet see because it has not happened in our present or our past. It is in our future. That document is called revelation. By definition, the word revelation is to show us something we cannot see on our own or have not yet seen. It is a clarity, a revelation. And the book of Revelation is a book where God took one of Jesus' disciples, John, and he didn't just show him something, he took him somewhere. And so John experienced our future. He experienced something that was going to unfold in our future and is going to unfold in our future. And in experiencing that, we, being recipients of his documentation of that, can now understand in a deeper way the real implications of what we're celebrating today, the work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, giving us life and light, equaling freedom instead of death and darkness, equaling bondage, right? So this event happens in Revelation chapter 5. There's also part of it that happens in Revelation 21, and that combination gives us our clarity. Revelation 5. So I'll read in a second. In Revelation chapter 5, this event takes place. In Revelation chapter 4, John is standing in the throne room of God. You can read it. And he's looking at the throne of God, and it is nothing but awe-inspiring. Like John is like blown away and everybody that is within John's sight is blown away. The elders, the angels, the creatures, you just come up with some existing living being and all the living beings are doing are just like, oh my goodness, he's incredible. That's what's going on. We call that worship. And as that's happening, it gets to the end of chapter four and John says something absolutely fascinating. He notices something. He sees something that starts unfolding a story that helps us understand why today is such a big deal. So listen to this. Revelation chapter 5 verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, 
Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? So this, this thing happens where God is sitting on his throne and he's holding a scroll. It's written on the inside, it's written on the outside, and it's sealed. And somebody needs to open the scroll. In Roman times, which is when the scriptures were written, and in the Jewish culture, when you had a scroll that had writing on the inside and the outside, very unusual, and was sealed, it was typically a will. The person who wrote the scroll had a will for their possessions and for the people they care about. And the will was going to be revealed like wills we have. You write a will for your children or your children's children. What is your will? It is the will you have for your stuff and your life and their lives as it gets passed down, right? That's where we come up with the word, this is your will. So God's will is inside of a scroll. And his will is this declaration and completion of all things, the reconciliation of all things, the completion of all things, the finishing of history. And he's holding the scroll and it is sealed. And his will cannot be known, nor can it be completed until what? The will is opened, revealed, and then executed so that it can be completed. So you can imagine what a big deal it is, right? That you're saying like, there it is in his hand, the will, the completion of history, the reality, what's going to happen? I want to know. It has implications to us, to him, to all things. What is it? And the angel says, who is able, worthy, powerful enough to open this seal? Big deal. Now, I'm going to give you a little clue real quick. We're going to jump ahead. We're going to come back to the story in a second. But you should know where this goes because it will help you understand what a big deal it is, what happens in chapter five. So the will does get opened, FYI. You're like, oh, thank, thank you. That's, that's such good news. The will gets opened. The seals get broken. It gets revealed. Lots of things happen. And it takes us to the end of Revelation where the completion of the will is realized. The finishing execution of God's will is realized. Listen to what it sounds like, what John sees when the will of God is completed. Okay, here it is. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, behold! The dwelling place of God, the domain of God, the God's home is now going to be with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So we see a picture of what the scroll revealed was God's end game. Are you with me? God's will was that he would bring together his home, his world, his domain, and our home, our world, and our domain. And that they would exist uh, together, inseparable, with light and life as the reality of both 
and death and darkness absent from both. It turns out actually, as you follow the journey of the whole story of scripture, that this has been the story all along. It's kind of neat when you see the end. Have you ever watched one of those movies where you get to the end and suddenly all the scenes make sense? You were like totally confused the whole time. Like this is just weird. And then you get to the end and you're like, it's not weird. It's incredible. And you want to go watch it over and over and over again because of the wonder of the mystery. This is how this unfolds. So we find out in scripture that in Genesis, the very first book, God actually created all of creation in this state, this inseparable state where earth and heaven were integrated in such a sense that life and light was the whole experience for us, for all of creation. And darkness and death was not present in this home. Just, just so you can have a clarity in your mind. Remember that darkness and death are not in of themselves actually things, right? They are the absence of things. Death isn't a thing. It is the absence of life. When life is present, where is death? It doesn't exist. Because by definition, if something is life, it is not death. And darkness is not a thing. It is the absence of a thing. So when light shows up, what happens to darkness? It just isn't. Why? Because by definition, if light is present, light is light. Darkness isn't a thing. And so what happens is we see the story unfold where God created heaven and earth as a place of life and light equaling freedom for all who dwelt in heaven or earth or the both. And then because we, the human race, chose to rule on our own instead of with God, what God did in the beginning of the stories, he said, when I move out of a place and life moves out with me and light moves out with me, what moves in? What is the absence of light and life? Death and darkness and death and darkness equals bondage, life and, and light equals freedom. So we are bound, bound because we now are in a domain of darkness and death. Trouble is the Bible describes that when death and darkness moved in, it didn't just move into planet earth and we're like these humans surrounded by death and darkness. The Bible actually describes death and darkness being what's left in us. We become a part of this domain of death and darkness. If you've been here the last few weeks, you've been tracking with us, watching this story unfold each Sunday toward Easter. And then God does something unbelievable. He, from the beginning of the story of the Bible, starts saying, I didn't leave permanently and I never left totally. The domain we live in, earth, isn't totally absent of God. Total absence of God is an unimaginable hell. But this is now just a, this is what somewhat absence of God feels like. The beginnings of death and darkness, right? And God says, but I'm not leaving. I'm actually moving back in. If God moved back in to our domain in the way that Revelation 21 describes it, then what has to move out and disappear if God moves in? Death and darkness. And what are we? Death and darkness. So when God moves back in to our world, where do we go? We disappear along with death and darkness. Are you with me? We go to death and darkness. So that's our dilemma. Is it great news that God's moving back in? You guys are like hesitant now, as you should be. 
you're like, hold on. I thought it was. Revelation sounded so beautiful. No more tears and death. But you just said, I don't get to have that. I, I move out. Yeah, that is the dilemma, isn't it? And so instead of God in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, the early part of the Bible, moving back in like Revelation 21, he moves in progressively. And he moves in progressively for our sake, not for his. He comes in with teeny baby steps because when he shows up, we stop being. Every time in the Old Testament there's an encounter with God, God says to the human, I'd love for you to like see me and be like with me, but if you are, you die. So what I'm gonna do instead is I'm gonna move in a tent called the tabernacle. You're gonna stay where? Outside the tent and I'm gonna be nearby. But don't come in here because then you die. Then I'm gonna set up a temple and I'm gonna live in the temple, but where should you be? Not in the Holy of Holies, inside the temple, but for a brief second, once a year, for a specific thing under certain circumstances, and you might still die. And then suddenly something happens. As God resided in the tabernacle, then the temple veiled from us because death and darkness, when it encounters light and life, goes away, disappears, dies, right? So we, we stay outside, and then one day God shows up but this time in human flesh. And suddenly something changes by his very presence. Now we can walk right up to God face to face. We watch humans do it and they don't die. It's crazy. They come to Jesus and they're like, hey, I didn't die. They didn't know that it was God, but we know it was. And we're like, oh, I thought you were gonna die, but you didn't die. God veils himself inside a human body and gives us access like we've never had before. That's worth celebrating in of itself, but something bigger happens. While God is on this planet, he effects a work for us so that that veil that keeps us from being able to enjoy life and light because we are death and darkness, that veil is ripped and he unravels something in us that makes us something we weren't before. When we were death before, he makes us life. When we were darkness before, he makes us light. The, the book of Ephesians in chapter one says it this way, that we were dead in our transgressions, the decisions we made, the stuff we did, the virus of sin. But God made us alive in Christ Jesus. It's not so much that like you think of it, I was dead, now I'm alive. It's that I was death and I'm now made life. Because what can life do when life moves back in? Stay, <laughs> stay. And what does death do when life moves back in? Go. And so now we find out that the work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection in unraveling the virus of sin in us and taking care of it so that we would stop being death but become life, stop being children of wrath and become children of God, we now have an ability, an opportunity that we've never had before. That anytime God shows up, we don't die. Anytime God shows up, we don't have to scream running away. We can stay and enjoy the freedom that is the result of light and life. And so now the spirit of God begins to dwell with us, in us, to demonstrate with such clarity, you're okay. I've made you something you were not so I can be with you. But the end game is not just living on planet death while we enjoy internal life by the spirit. There is an end game in Revelation 21 where it all comes together. So you're with me so far. 
Now Revelation 5 will make sense. Grab your Bibles, let's go there and let me show you what unfolds in Revelation 5 that should make this day like, oh my goodness, not excitable enough. Watch this. So you remember the angel said, who is worthy of opening the will of God, the scroll to show us the completion of time? And no one in heaven, verse three, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. It's like John's going, oh no, oh no. The completion of time is not gonna happen. We're not gonna know the will of God. We're never gonna see this thing come to fruition. Where does this go? And he's weeping and look what happens. An elder comes to him from heaven. And it says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more, behold, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So this elder comes and says, stop, 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 stop. You you think there's no one that's worthy. There is one who is. He has done something that has made him worthy, able. He has conquered. It just leaves this word like conquered. What does this mean that he's conquered? He has conquered death, but we're about to find out what that really means because it's crazy. And so it's like, he has conquered. And who is this lion of Judah, this root of David? We know immediately it's Jesus because this is language that was used in the Old Testament for describing the coming Messiah, Jesus. So now John's like, oh my gosh, where? Where is he? And then he sees him. Take a look. Sorry, I'm a little excitable too. This is really exciting. Watch this. And between the throne, verse six, and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, listen to this, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense or worship, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying this, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. Isn't that crazy? So look what he says. Not only did Jesus conquer death so that now he can open the the final fruition of time and death will be no more, but he did something else while he was conquering death. Wait for it. He ransomed us who were death so we wouldn't be the recipients of his conquering. We would be the participants in his conquering. It's early. You didn't catch that. He ransomed us by his redemptive work so we would not be the recipients of his conquering death moving out when he moves in, but we would be the participants in conquering death. As he moves in, we stay. And then we become part of the great and wondrous massive people from every tribe, tongue and nation who have a God who loves them and who loves that God and are the recipients of life and light equaling freedom for all of eternity. We don't go to heaven, home comes to us. 
And the trouble is it was coming, it's gonna come and we would have had to move out. But what they're screaming here is worthy is the lamb because he not only conquered death, but he ransomed his people so that they might be life, light and freedom. And then look what happens. This is so cool. Then I looked and I heard around the throne, verse 11, and the living creatures and the elders The voices of many angels joined, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. I looked up myriads because I'm like, what is that? We say it all the time, myriads and myriads. What does it mean? It actually means like an undetectable number or typically tens of thousands. So when you say myriads, you mean tens of thousands. So this is what John says. I looked and joining the elders and the creatures in worshiping this lamb were tens of thousands and tens of thousands of angels. No, 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 no. Thousands of thousands and thousands and thousands of angels. Thousands of thousands. And he's like, wow, it got really loud. And everybody was just in awe of Jesus. Now look at this. What were these angels joining, singing? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It sounds more excitable than today because it is more excitable than today. We're behind the curve, folks, because here, thousands of thousands of angels join the elders. But wait, it's not done. And I heard a creature in heaven, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen! And the elders fell down and worshipped. What an event. And this event takes place because there is this clarity that suddenly creation has. That we, the people of God, because of the work of Jesus in his life, death and resurrection, have been made life when we were death. Have been made light when we were darkness. So that when home comes to us, We stay and we reign on earth and in heaven is really the idea of this. The reason John says, and I saw and the people of God, you made them a priesthood, his people, and they reigned where? On earth, it says, which is weird, isn't it? Because you think we we all go to heaven. He's like, no, 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 no. Heaven and earth become interchangeable, integrated, and we reign with God in a world of life and light equaling freedom. The reason today is a really big deal is because if you are here and you have come to know Jesus for who he actually is, you've heard and seen and you believe and you're like, yep, Jesus is God in flesh and blood on this planet, was in terms of our time and he did this redemptive work so that the virus of sin and me that I cannot do anything about, that is slowly producing death because I am death. He has unraveled that and I am righteous and alive and free and light and alive because he made me so. If that's you and that's me, then the story of the Bible is when he comes home to you, you get to celebrate as light and life comes in and freedom is yours. In the same way, it sets us up to be like, wow, it's a really big deal that we engage with Jesus and know him because what I don't want is to be tracking along in my life, feeling all great. And when the time comes, 
that life moves back in or when the time comes that in the in-between space between the beginning of time and the finishing of time, I leave the planet. I don't want to have to move out with death. I want to stay with life. And Jesus says, I did that for you. I am the way by which you become life and light instead of death and darkness. And I'm the one that makes sure you stay when he comes. We are going to be the recipients of unimaginable freedom when God brings heaven to us. And then it says this. It ends with this wondrous picture in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants, us, will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Welcome to our future. If we are the people who know Jesus and that is worth celebrating, right? That's worth celebrating. So is it any wonder, is it any wonder that the choirs in heaven sing? Is it any wonder that the, 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 the elders fell down on their knees when this became their clarity? Is it any wonder that myriads upon myriads, thousands of thousands of angels joined into the singing? Is it any wonder that all the tribes, tongues, and nations who were in heaven joined the singing? Frankly, folks, is it any wonder that those on earth, under the earth, and in the things under the earth joined? Jesus said, what did he say? It says of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to Jesus. And in Revelation 5, we literally watch it happen. All of creation, the creation that is life and sees him and rejoices at his coming and the creation that is death that sees him and trembles at his coming, both bow knee and give voice and join the choir to say, worthy is the lamb either in joy or in absolute terror and submission. But one thing is true, that when we know what we know, all of creation has no choice but to join the singing. So we here, though that is a future event for us, it is an event we join throughout generations in singing. Why do we come here on Easter? Why do we stand and get weird and sing songs? Why do we raise our hands and go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Because when we see who Jesus really is and what he's really done and what waits for us and what is ours now, home has come. Home is coming. We don't have to go there. He's coming to us. Then we stand and we raise our voices and join the choirs of heaven and earth and say, what? Worthy. Worthy is who? The lamb is worthy because he has given us life and he has given us light and we have freedom, amen? So let's get on up and let's tell him how worthy he is.